When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. Thanks for joining us today for another week of the exploration of Trash Candy. This week, we have some owners of a lonely heart. Stacy, what story are you bringing us? Uh, from the 90s and beyond, uh, I have actors David Duchovny and Taya Leone. A little light on the trash. Yeah. Which balances out because today I am bringing... You've got a sad one. It's super trashy, super sad. She's not... Trashy. Her husbands are terrible, except for one. We're welcoming a new... Trashy Divorces All-Star. That's it. Seven times down the aisle. Poor little rich girl, Barbara Hutton. Maybe the loneliest girl in the world, too. It sounds like that's possible, yeah. Before we get started, let's pull out our magic mirror with huge love and thanks to our new Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to Ursula M, DW, Karis G, and Tiffany F. Sally S, Charlie B, Helen D... Y'all are amazing. We have a new super supporter as well, Suzanne G. Holy cats. Thank you so much to all of our Patreon community. On Patreon this week, you're continuing your Loose Women series. You brought us... The story of Fanny Fox, the Argentine firecracker and the title Basin Bombshell. God, it was so good. This week, we talked about Falcon Lair. And don't forget our Wednesday Trashy Royal series coming to you on this feed. We dropped that this past week with two Princes of Wales. So I hope you're catching those on Wednesdays. I think that's all the biz. What should we do to get to these stories? We should go, go, go. So you're bringing us X-Files today, Stacey, a trashy one? A legit X-Files, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, this is David Duchovny and Taya Leone. And I shall begin, oh, the 90s. Oh, the 90s. How I miss you and all of your weirdness, much of which definitely spawned from the mid-decade TV juggernaut, The X-Files, which has certainly had revivals more recently. I want to believe. That's the one. Who can forget Mulder and Scully and the show's relentless pursuit of UFOs and high-level conspiracies to hide the truth, which we were assured was out there? Well, I think most people would agree that Gillian Anderson, who played Dana Scully, has gone on to have a more interesting post-X-Files acting career. In many ways, the 90s were the David Duchovny decade. There was even a song, Bree Sharp's David Duchovny, which asked, David Duchovny, why won't you love me? (laughs) forgotten about that. I had not. Uh, So this song made its way to the X-Files set, and I think David Duchovny was once photographed singing along to it in his car. (laughs) Fantastic. Not the best look. Clearly, Bree Sharp was speaking for a nation, but by the time the song was out in 1999, David Duchovny was no longer on the market. Aww. In May of 1997, after a brief but clearly significant romance, he and actress Taya Leone had tied the knot. Obviously, because this podcast is called Trashy Divorces, this did not work out as a permanent thing, but would you believe that it did work out for 17 years? That's remarkable. It's a very long marriage. It's a long Hollywood marriage. So let's talk about these two who are absolutely peas in a pod 
and their long but increasingly troubled marriage. David William Duchovny is a Leo guy. His birth date is August 7th. It is not. It is, 1960. <sighs> I share a birthday with David Duchovny? I had no idea. Yep. The face behind Fox Mulder. Okay, uh, he was born in New York. He was the son of a writer and a publicist, uh, a writer slash publicist and a teacher slash school administrator. Also, if you are overly online, as I am, you may know that America's elite private schools are in a bit of an uproar right now. And oh, yeah. Basically, all of the ones that are mentioned in all of the reporting on this are mentioned in this story, which makes it timely in a weird way. Anyway. Trashy divorces are everywhere. Yeah, so Duchovny was quite the child prodigy. He attended the prestigious collegiate school for boys Mm. on the Upper West Side, from which he graduated as head boy and valedictorian. He went to Princeton, where he studied English literature and played basketball, and then on to Yale for a master's in English. Of course he did. With plans for a PhD. It's very easy to imagine a world where David Duchovny is a professor at one of, like, an elite Sure. At an Ivy. And writes novels. That'd be great casting. That other English professors read, you know. He had considered maybe putting his writing talents to work on screenplays or for television, but he realized that he wanted to know how it felt to just say the words. So he started hanging around Yale's drama school and sitting in on classes, and he landed a Lowenbrow commercial, beer, in 1987. Wow. He started taking acting classes in New York, got a small part in 1988's Working Girl, Those are some funny screenshots that I pulled up. And he moved to L.A. to pursue acting full-time that year. Oh, good on you. In 1993, X-Files began. And while David was a good fit for the cerebral and somewhat mercurial Fox Mulder, he told the Yale Daily News in 2009 that he took the job for the paycheck, not the story. Quote, it wasn't really my thing. It still isn't really my thing. I thought it was just a silly science fiction show. I was wrong every step of the way. (laughs) Every step of the way. For the first five seasons of X-Files, main filming occurred in and around Vancouver, British Columbia, which really lent a mood to the show. Lush pine forests, plenty of water, and the light is just different there than what you get when you move your production to Los Angeles, which X-Files did in 1998, because David Duchovny had gotten himself married, and his wife did not live in Vancouver. She lived in L.A. We're going to park David on a spooky bench at the Trashy Divorces Depot, and hop on to the other train in this story. Okay, perfect. Get into more elite private schools. Elizabeth Taya Pantaleoni. True story. Interesting. Glad she... Shortened that a little. Snipped that a bit. Was born February 25th, 1966, Pisces. Oh. Also in New York. And was also raised in a comfortable, academically focused world. Her dad was a corporate lawyer. Her mom was a nutritionist. And Taya attended the private Brerley School in Manhattan and the Putney School in Vermont before decamping to Sarah Lawrence, where she did not matriculate on account of the call of the Islandsman. Oh, (laughs) what island? Hopped to St. Croix for a while. I have no information on whether a gentleman friend was involved in this decision, but let's be honest. (laughs) There was a gentleman friend involved in this decision. Yeah, come on. Okay. Then she sojourned on Cape Cod, as one does. Before accepting a dare to audition for a 1988 Charlie's Angels reboot that was produced but never aired. Though she had no formal training, Taya Leone was a natural at comedy and made a splash with comedic roles that semi-mirrored her own life. A child of privilege exploring the deep waters of the real world. 
She told the New York Times in 1996, I grew up in an extremely academic and intellectual atmosphere. So the idea that the power of your intellect could, should, and would control the outcome of a situation is a familiar one. That does imply a bit of arrogance, but nothing is more fun than laughing at an arrogant human being having the rug pulled out from under them. I mean, kind of the truth. Kind of the truth. She went on to note how unusual her career direction back then felt. Quote, I've always been able to keep a straight face and know I'm provoking laughter in the room, but I wasn't the funny one in the family. I wasn't the class clown. To say here's the new comedic talent still seems very foreign to me. Her early career could be any aspiring actors. So there was the failed Charlie's Angels reboot. There was a part on a soap opera. There were some bit parts in some movies, although one of them was a league of their own. So I think she beans Madonna with a baseball. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Sitcom work followed, although the network struggled to find the right vehicle for her. Her longest running one was called The Naked Truth, where she plays a society wife who returns to news photography after leaving her rich dirtbag husband. Only he makes sure that no respectable news outlet will hire her, so she ends up sleezing it up as a tabloid photographer. Oh my god. It's kind of a cool premise. It co-starred Holland Taylor, America's hottest 78-year-old. That's the truth. And it features no less than Tim Curry. But in its three seasons, it went through two networks. ABC dropped it after season one, and NBC picked it up. And then three big reimaginings before finally being canceled at the end of season three. Uh, As it was kind of relaunched in... 1996, I guess. Taya told the Washington Post about her ambitions outside of Hollywood, namely motherhood. She said, quote, the ugliest question I was asked in Hollywood was which I would prefer, motherhood or winning an Oscar. It was such an ugly question. It was hard to dignify with an answer. Of course, I'd rather have the Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) She's a very funny person. I mean, she just really is very funny. By this point, she had also married and divorced. In 1991, at the age of 25, she walked down the aisle with a television commercial producer. They divorced without kids and without media attention in 1995. So on May 13th, 1997, she and David Duchovny walked down that aisle after their brief but clearly well-aligned courtship. You've got two Manhattan kids, two prep school kids, two elite college kids, two children of wealth, two almost-by-accident actors... Their paths weren't similar. They were identical. What could go wrong? So I'm going to let People Magazine's Tom Gliotto explain how the relationship took shape. Their four-month relationship, furtive as an X-Files conspiracy, scarcely surfaced publicly. And even X-Files co-star Gillian Anderson was in the dark about the wedding. David and Taya just wanted to keep this quiet, says a friend, without the helicopters. Which, like, was a thing at the time. Yeah. The plot went something like this. Duchovny, having just finished shooting the season finale of his hit Fox series in Vancouver, hopped on a plane last Saturday and flew to New York to join Leone, 31, a fellow Manhattanite whose series had already wrapped in L.A. Monday morning, with him wearing a phony mustache that failed to fool much of anyone, they popped into City Hall for their marriage license. The following evening, with the groom dressed in a beige Armani suit and the bride decked out in a pale pink floral gown, the couple exchanged self-penned vows during a 20-minute ceremony in the garden of the Grace Church School, another elite school his mother works there. This was a place that had meaning to them, says school admissions director Zelda Warner. It was pretty and private. The only guests were a half-dozen family members, Leonie's parents, along with the bride's brother Tom, and Duchovny's mother, his sister Lori, and brother Danny, who served as best man. The party moved on to a private room in Gascon, a French restaurant, 
Duchovny dined on filet of trout. Leonie ordered quail with a port wine sauce. Oddly, the cake proved tough to cut, even though the couple gripped the knife together. What's inside this thing? The groom joked. The couple then spent their wedding night at the small, upscale Lowell Hotel. And he goes on to say they first met in 1992, you know, at the start of both of their careers. A Tonight Show producer had introduced them, but they they were acquaintances and friends until the beginning of 1997 when they met up at a party. And and were like, four months later, done. Boom. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. So two kids soon joined their small band of brigands, uh, one in 1999 and the second in 2002. And the family was bi-coastal for a lot of this period because X-Files was shooting in L.A. Taya successfully transitioned to big screen films like Deep Impact, The Family Man with Nick Cage, and a spot in the Jurassic Park franchise. Because that is a thing. <laughs> I think we should take a moment to note that David Duchovny managed to piss off the famously laid-back people of Vancouver after his wedding. When How do you he... piss off Canada? I know, right? Like, the uniquely friendly people of Canada. So he was pushing to move X-Files to L.A., as noted earlier, because Taya was working on The Naked Truth there. This is understandable, but what many Canadians objected to was an appearance on Conan O'Brien's show, where David joked, Vancouver's a very nice place if you like 400 inches of rainfall a day. Oh, no. Also, he's not really wrong. (laughs) I've been there. Yeah, but you don't say that on (laughs) national television and make Canada angry. No, Vancouver's a lovely city. It really, really is. All right, so the 2000s were busy for both of them. X-Files ended, and David was involved in a number of projects, from film leads to directing some stuff to a stint on Celebrity Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I mean, why not? Taya had some hits. She was in Fun with Dick and Jane with Jim Carrey, and she had some misses. She was in Spanglish with Adam Sandler, and seems maybe to have slowed down her tempo of work a bit, because young kids. Kids. Mm -hmm. 2007. Californication launched on Showtime, where David played a womanizing writer with a problematic relationship with booze and drugs, and to be fair, most humans. So when he announced in 2008 that he was checking himself into a treatment center for sex addiction, it wasn't really clear whether this was genuine or some kind of like harebrained publicity stunt for the show. Okay. Right? At the time, there was a lot of reporting that generally would like speak to psychologists who would say, you know, well, if he really wants to get his arms around his behavior, he's going to have to leave this role on on Californication because it's really like letting him play with all of these issues that, you know, he can't do both. I don't know if it, anyway, that was sort of the thing, but he did not leave the show. He stayed on. But, you know, once he was out of treatment, we learned that he and Taya had actually been separated for several months so it wasn't a publicity stunt. It was, it was uh, genuine. For real, yeah. Yeah, they reconciled. Uh, but in 2011, they separated again, reconciled. And again, he's playing this character that has all of these problems that are apparently problems he also has How himself. long is he going to play the character? He just, he just... Right up until the end of their marriage, Alicia. Fantastic. <laughs> right up until the end. So yeah, the show ended in 2014, as did their marriage. Mm. Um I mean, it was not a trashy divorce. I mean, it was like they filed on irretrievable breakdown grounds. They negotiated their settlement privately. TMZ reported that David was paying $40,000 a month in spousal support and $8,300 a month in child support. They live like five blocks from each other in Manhattan, you know, during the New York part of their year. That fall, like her show, Madam Secretary, launched. That became a big success, like... 
they've kind of done fine. She spoke to Parade Magazine that year about the split, and I guess they asked her whether she hates her her ex-husband. And she's like, listen, David gave me the two greatest gifts on the planet. I don't know how I could ever hate him. We've My always- Oscars. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. This is Oscar and Oscar Jr. There are kids. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we tend not to name children on this show because that... They're adults now, but still, like... No, it's Oscar and Oscar, certainly. Oscar and Oscar. <laughs> the Oscar twins. Yeah, she says, I don't know how I could ever hate him. We've always loved each other, and we adore these kids. She continued, I'm not playing stupid. I understand feelings can get hurt and things can get icky. We've had our moments like that, but these kids are too important, and he feels the same way. He's a good guy. All told, they were together for 17 years, which is pretty extraordinary for anyone, but particularly Hollywood. They do great as co-parents. They talk pretty much every day. They get a like a rental home for holidays. So they're, they're not at like... It's oh, that's a, a smart idea. David Space or Taylor. If, you, ha- if yeah. you have a lot of money, that's a really smart <laughs> exactly. idea. Exactly. If, if that's in your budget. Tay has been involved with actor Tim Daly, her co-star on Madam Secretary, since 2014. And David apparently spent his quarantine period writing his fourth novel. He did contract COVID in November and fortunately, you know... It was not a, a severe case, but yeah, that's kind of, they're still co-parenting pretty well, I guess. And uh, just not that trashy. Good on them for the co-parenting. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. It's, I feel like he has not done interviews that really address the sex addiction stuff, but no. So I don't know. Trash cans. I don't know. 8,300 trash cans a month. For the for the two Oscars, for the support of the two Oscars. All located in the quiet garden at Grace Church. Grace School. <laughs> Grace School. Yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. So that is how two elite children grew up to be elite actors, grew up to be spouses, and grew up to be exes. <laughs> that is some X-Files. There you go. Fantastic. Let's go ahead and take a break. You've got a legendary one, right? New Hall of Famer. New Mm. Hall of Famer coming up right after the break. Today's episode is sponsored by Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company for people who are ready to take their acne seriously. And not just acne. Now being of a certain age myself, my skin challenges have changed over time. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. There's an online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history, snap a few selfies, and then get a customized treatment plan just for you. Your topical and oral medications are delivered to your home fast and painlessly. Apostrophe is also a great choice for the teens in your life who may be going through that fun stage of things. Apostrophe is available for teens as young as 14. I wish there had been a service like this when I was that age because acne was so embarrassing and I definitely did not want to talk to a doctor about it. Get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash trashy and use our code trashy. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash trashy and click begin visit. Then use the code trashy at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe.com slash trashy and use that code trashy to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. And again, we thank apostrophe for sponsoring our podcast today. We all could use a little support in life, but your bra should be the first place you find that support. Find the right bra at Third Love. Third Love uses measurements from millions of women to design their bras for all-day comfort and support. 
And every third love bra is made with signature memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a scratch-free band in more than 80 sizes. Third Love is able to achieve your perfect fit with the Fitting Room Quiz. It's a fun and interactive experience that focuses on you, your size, breast shape, current fit issues, and your personal style to find the perfect bra for you. Fit stylists are available as well for one-on-one chats to ensure you get the greatest fit and support available. The Fitting Room has helped 18 million women find their true bra size. Third Love stands behind their products with a perfect fit promise. If you don't love it, returns and exchanges are free, and Third Love donates those gently used returned bras to women in need. Your boobs deserve better than a bad bra. From classic lace that actually feels soft to the 24-7 classic t-shirt bra, you're going to find something to love at thirdlove.com. And check out the new lounge by Third Love. It's your uniform for whatever you're up to. Working from home, listening to a podcast, running errands. These are drapey, easy fit knits and wovens in premium cotton. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our Trashy Divorces listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com trashy now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com trashy for 20% off today. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life. And if now is your moment, we recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. Not clicking with your counselor? No problem. It's free to change. BetterHelp is available worldwide and offers specialized expertise that may just not be available where you live. It's also more affordable than traditional counseling, and financial aid is available. It's just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor who specializes in what you're working through. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 U.S. states. We want you to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com trashy. Join more than 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit betterhelp.com trashy. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. 
all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Alicia, your subject this week had a very unlucky number seven. Unlucky number seven. Trash Pandas. Today, I am bringing you the long-awaited Trashy Divorces saga. You've wanted it for a while. We got the seven husbands, six divorces of Barbara Hutton, Mm. the poor little rich girl. Sure. In her life, she will be married to two princes, a count, a baron, an ambassador, an actor, and an artist. Just couldn't quite settle down. Six of these men will utterly abuse her largesse, her wealth, and her kindness to some extent. There are a lot of big game hunters in this mix. Do you mean that metaphorically or? Metaphorically. They're going after Barbara. Big bank account hunters. Yeah, for her cash. So in the time period that Barbara Hutton lives, there are two heiresses that fascinate the world, both with very similar histories that should have made them friends. They are called the Gold Dust Twins, Barbara Hutton and Doris Duke. They're born 10 days apart. Both inherit immense wealth at an early age. Both suffer the loss of a parent. They are both ill-treated by the remaining parent. They have a lot in common, but they are arch enemies. (laughs) They're going to share a husband and some lovers too. Wow. Our lady today, Barbara Hutton, walks into life with a fortune, inherits 20 million at the age of five upon the death of her mother, that fortune will be added to another 42 million, 50 million by the time she's 21, which is super convenient for the first of the men that will use her and her fortune. The men spend her money. Barbara's going to stay lonely and then just pay them millions to go away. Wow. The longest of Barbara's husbands lasts four years, the shortest, 53 days. In this podcast journey of Trashy Divorces, we have skirted all around Barbara. She's been involved in a few of our episodes. Porfirio Rubirosa, Cary Grant, Zsa Zsa Gabor. Marjorie Merriweather Post. Exactly. We've talked all around her, but today it is time to officially welcome Barbara Hutton. It is her time to shine as our newest inductee into the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame. Oh, it's so coveted. It's a big deal. Barbara is born in New York City, November 14th, 1912. She is the only child of Franklin L. Hutton. He is a VP and partner of E.F. Hutton, Mm -hmm. also his brother. Old Franklin, he's a successful broker, but that's not the impressive part. Because Barbara's mom is Edna Woolworth, daughter of the dime store (laughs) magnate. Frank Woolworth. I know that name. Now, Frank Woolworth is wealthy, like one of the wealthiest men in the world. He's so loaded that when he builds his skyscraper, he pays for it in cash. Okay. Okay. So this is the Woolworth and the Hutton dynasties coming together, at least where fortunes are concerned. Less good in the love department. Because old Franklin Daddy is a notorious philanderer. Mom Edna is playing around herself. She will have her own affair with Bud Bouvier, the youngest brother of Blackjack Bouvier. Wow. Jackie O's father. Mm -hmm. Jacqueline Kennedy's father. Fascinating. 
Barbara, they call her Bobby. Bobby's mostly raised by governesses and nannies. And I mean, there's a lot of money and that's just what you do. And her parents have just other things to do that are not taking care of a child. At the age of five, it's terrible. Barbara will find her mother dead in her suite at the Plaza Hotel. Mom is 33 and her death is never really investigated. Her family pays off the cops not to investigate. Wow. Edna, it's pretty normal for 33-year-olds to just, like, show up dead. Well, Edna dies by suicide. She poisons um, herself. I see. Okay. Supposedly from the grief of her philandering, cheating husband. But it's all covered up. So now five-year-old Barbara inherits $20 million, which is mom's third sure. of her... The- Woolworth money. Woolworth money. That was my Woolworth that was my Woolworth. Daughters. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. my Woolworth money. <laughs> not the Hutton money that came later. Even that twenty million is not gonna buy happiness. Cause now she's five. She has twenty million dollars and becomes a press publicity sensation from the age of five and let her loneliness begin. Dad is absent. He's gambling. He's still womanizing. For a little while, Barbara's going to stay with her aunt, Marjorie Merriweather Mm -hmm. Post, in her Palm Beach home, Mar-a-Lago. You may have heard of it. Marjorie Merriweather Post, we did cover her as well. She's married to E.F. Hutton, who's the brother of Barbara Hutton's dad. Mm -hmm. Marjorie is supportive and caring, and Barbara Hutton remembers this as probably the happiest time of her childhood. Barbara getting passed around from relatives is eventually going to land with her grandparents, her Woolworth grandparents, in the 60-room Long Island mansion that the family owns. But it's not happy. Grandma has dementia and just rocks in her chair all day. Her granddad calls her princess, and he dotes on Barbara with things, with items, with possessions. Granddad at this point is 64 and slipping into some paranoia himself. And the melancholy that he has will develop through the years to bring him to his demise. Barbara's going to live there until granddad's death in 1919. Barbara's seven. Mm. This is a lot of loss in a very compressed period of time. So much. It is just mm-hmm. money can't buy you happiness. And Barbara Hutton is just the epitome. Barbara's sent to boarding schools then, where no one ever comes to pick her up on holidays. How does that even happen? It, it's just, it's so sad. And Barbara's lonely and her dad ignores her. And like, he, that's his neglect. His yeah. neglect is just Total. pretending she's not mm. there. She needed a Ron Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara will get a new wicked stepmother too, but oh, great. That's, yeah, not the focus of the story. So by the age of 16, Barbara Hutton is living in her own, thoroughly broken, but very rich, 26-room apartment, decorated with Louis XIV furniture, overseen by household staff. I mean, you'd have to. It's 26 rooms. She is outwardly living this fairy tale existence, but her notebooks and her journals, because she does write. She'll publish two volumes of poetry privately Hmm. in her life. She is a constant writer. Okay. David Heyman releases his biography of her in 1983 and said it was easy. to Like, she wrote it for me. I, I used her journals. So she will write about this time, really revealing her fragile self-image and disillusionment. She writes, I long for a friend, somebody to understand me, 
an intimate with whom to share my innermost thoughts and terrors. Deep down, I feel inadequate. I am ugly, fat, and awkward. I am also dull. Nobody can ever love me. For my money, but not for me. I will always be alone. It's just sad. Yeah, that's really sad. In 1929, Barbara is going to graduate from Miss Porter's in Farmington. She's an ancient. We've talked about a lot of their mm-hmm. alumni. In December of 1930, just set this in time period mm-hmm. for you, height of the Depression. Yes. Bobby's going to make her debut into society. Debbing out. With 12 million people out of work. The ball is held at the Ritz-Carlton. There are four orchestras. There are 200 waiters. There are 2,000 bottles of champagne. There are 1,007 course suppers served at midnight, as well as 1,000 breakfasts. Maurice Chevalier will dress his father Christmas. He greets the guests, all of whom received a pocket-sized jewelry case containing unmounted diamonds, emeralds, and rubies, and sapphires. How did this play in the press, I wonder? Well, uh, that's a good, good question. (laughs) The Astros are there. The Rockefellers are there. Mm, It's a super big deal. It will cause a scandal. Barbara will add to that scandal with (laughs) telling the papers that living well is the best revenge. (laughs) Woolworth workers go on strike. Out of touch much? Causes a national scandal. Yikes. Uh, One guest remarks about this party. It was the night Bobby became Barbara Hutton, debutante, glamour queen, playgirl of the Western world. It has also been compared, this party, to the maiden voyage of the Titanic. So, Yeah. (laughs) We're all in this together. No, we're not. No, we're not. So back in 1924, when Bobby was like 12, her grandmother died, leaving Bobby another 26 million. Yikes. So between... Mom's trust, grandma's trust, granddad's stuff. Her inheritance is increased by dad at 21, like 42. She's got a billion dollars in today's money at the age of 21, essentially. And her debut in America goes so badly that Bobby's going to head over to Europe and Mm. be presented at the court of St. James. Oh, at 17, she is fooling around with her tennis pro, her bodyguard, and James Dean, too. They have a one-night stand. James Dean is like, I am not the droid <laughs> that you are looking for. I mean. I, I'm I'm not the guy that is going to be for you. Like, Barbara's always looking for love and always left disappointed. So now we're set up pretty much with the story of the poor little rich girl so far. And this is before the seven husbands. So let's get into it. <laughs> Hubby number one, Alexis Medvani. He's a social climber. He's from a family called the Marrying Medvani's. <laughs> He claims to be royalty. He says he's a prince. He's a prince of Georgia that had to flee in the 1921 Soviet invasion. False. We don't have a monarchy in this state. Don't tell that to Brian Kemp. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. Okay. There's a few problems with this potential hookup. Alexis is already married to an aster. Oh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But Barbara Hutton's money blows Astra money out mm-hmm. of the water. And the lady that Alexis is married to, her name is Louise Van Allen. She's a friend of Barbara Hutton's. They hang out on the beach together all the time at Bailey's Beach in Newport, Rhode oh, Island, right. right next to Rough Point, right. the home of Doris Duke. Hmm. So Alexis and Barbara Hutton are going to meet in Baritz. 
And Alexis has a sister, Rusi. Rusi is manipulative. She's terrible. R- Rusi is the reason that the marrying Midbonis have their name because she gets an idea that's going to solve all the problems for Alexis in one fell swoop. Hey, Alexis, I have a plan. I can get you a divorce from Aster at the same time while you're seducing Barbara Hutton and then we'll blackmail her into marrying you. All the players are assembled in San Sebastian, Spain. Barbara Hutton and Alexis are romping in a cottage in a well-timed move by the sister. Why do I feel like this is a 40-room cottage, though? Right. No, Rusi's like, hey, Bob and Ellen, uh, why don't you go over to that cottage over there? I think the suntan oil's in there. Like, totally setting Mm -hmm. the big walking in on Barbara and Alexis. How could you? Exactly. They find the scandal that they were not looking for. And this causes like a, a terrible scandal. Barbara Hutton flees to Paris. But now, in fulfilling her plan, Rusi is blackmailing Barbara Hutton oh my God. with negative publicity if she does not marry her brother. Rusi's brother. Prince Alexis. Prince. <laughs> that suddenly got very Game of Thrones. Right. <laughs> sure enough, Prince Alexis and Barbara Hutton are married June 22nd, 1933, in Paris. Dad is going to provide a million-dollar dowry for his daughter. He's not happy. Nobody's happy about this marriage. Dad isn't happy, but it happens. The press is even unhappier. The press before her marriage to Prince Alexis. The New York Daily News will write about this. Our felicitations and whatever else may be appropriate to Miss Barbara Hutton, who is spending nobody knows how many millions of American nickels and dimes collected from poor people in America in anticipation of her marriage to a foreigner whose name has slipped our mind. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. It's not great. Well. Nothing about this marriage is great because Prince Alexis doesn't like her. His cruel treatment begins Barbara's lifelong struggle with anorexia nervosa. Mm -hmm. On their wedding night, Barbara Hutton is 5'4", about 148 pounds, which is far too fat for Prince Alexis. He tells her that. Barbara Hutton will now drink nothing but black coffee for three weeks at a time. Sit. That's not how you do intermittent fasting. Yeah. (laughs) She will drop 40 pounds in just a few months, but this will embed the fasting and binging pattern that Barbara will follow for the rest of her life. That's terrible. Not eating food, which people need to actually survive. Barbara Hutton will instead uh, burn some ciggies. Some liquor. She'll begin some barbiturate use. Digestive disorders will take her off the booze. But when she goes off the booze, she replaces it with Coca-Cola by the caseload. So. No offense to our fair corporate citizen, but terrible choice. Terrible choice. So after spending millions of her dollars on a home and polo ponies and men's jewelry, this marriage is done. We get a Reno divorce, if you got your trashy divorces bingo card out there, in March of 1935. Alexis, the prince, out. With a $2 million settlement, I'm giving a 1,000 trash cans to this one, all located in Reno. You're a terrible person, Alexis, and so is your sister. Alexis will die in a car accident shortly after that divorce. So. Wow. Yeah. What, What a weird story. All of this probably would have been okay. Hubby number one, over and out. But Barbara Hutton literally announces her next marriage 
to hubby number two 24 hours after finalizing the divorce from number one. She can't stay out. People again, mad. Will Rogers and his syndicated column is going to try to take a kinder approach. He writes, well, a big headline today says Barbara is marrying a count or duke or something, and we get all excited and start criticizing as though she was a ward of the people. It's her money. It's her life. She must pay a tremendous lot of taxes to our government. She deserves some right. Her fortune was made from five and ten cent purchases, so nobody got stuck very much. So if she wants to pick up where the United States government left off and finance all Europe, it's her own business. I don't know if that's a friendlier take. <laughs> Hubby number two. Uh-huh. He's a count. Okay. His name is Count Kurt, with a lot of names in between till we get to his last name, Riventhlow. Count Kurt's jam is dominating Barbara Hutton with verbal and physical abuse. Jesus Christ. So badly that she is hospitalized and he goes to jail. This marriage will produce Barbara's only child, a son, Lance. Count Kurt, in a truly superior move is going to manipulate Barbara Hutton into a ton more hot water. Because the thing that Count Kurt really cares about is Barbara's money. Mm -hmm. Way more concerned with that than he is about her. Count Kurt will force Barbara to give up her American citizenship and take on his native Dutch citizenship, not for any other reason than to eliminate her tax burden to the United States Mm -hmm. government. The only part that gives him hesitation in this is this deal by renouncing her American citizenship will also eliminate the two-thirds tax on her estate in the event of her death, but she will do it. Two days later, Barbara gets on a boat and sails to Europe. America is pissed. Walter Winchell, this time, takes to the airwaves, referring to her as society's most outrageous child. The New York Times thought her despicable. This is also affecting the Woolworth business. Mm. Within two days of her sailing, three Woolworth stores in New York have closed. 36 others are facing a similar plight. Angry employees will use every opportunity to blame Barbara Hutton for their meager paychecks. So she's like nuking a brand, basically. Yeah, They send her a telegram on the boat crossing. Urge that you order management to concede a living wage to thousands now existing on starvation wages. Hutton does not respond, but soon after, will hire a PR firm to generate some positive publicity for her. Barbara is now going to turn to drugs to escape. Her struggle with anorexia continues. The couple is going to have a nasty, nasty fight in court over custody of Lance. Barbara is eventually awarded custody. But it is after a lot of terrible, terrible things that happen in court. This divorce is done in 1938. I'm giving 2,000 trash cans to Count Kurt. That'll go nicely with his $1.5 million settlement that he got. Mm. Now, an affair with Howard Hughes is going to happen. Why not? And Barbara says about Howard, (laughs) I thought you would like this, because I don't think she needs his jewelry tray, right? Right. She says about Howard, the charming thing about Howard is that he's not charming. (laughs) That actually might be nice for her after these two, like if he's just direct and clear and not. It it sounds, we talk about rich and powerful people. 
it sounds like she was rich, but did not actually understand herself to be powerful. No, not at all. That's really sad. Not at all. There's a small glitch, though, with the Howard Hughes romance. They carry on a long time affair, hmm. but Howard Hughes is engaged to Catherine Hepburn. Hmm. But helpfully, one of Howard's good friends is going to step up to be hubby number three. Why not make it a movie star? Welcome to the love of some secret part of my heart, Cary Grant. Oh. These two. Barbara and Carrie are going to meet sailing from New York to England in 1939. And after this, Barbara is going to move to Hollywood. And this one maybe could have worked. Remember, Cary Grant also lost a parent early in his life. His mom is sent to the institution and they all just tell him that she's dead for 20 years. Right, right. There's a lot of amago, even though they're... The financial circumstances of their childhoods are very different. You can see how these two might have been drawn to each other and how they could have built something. They're going to marry July 8th, 1942. He is 38 and dashing. She is 30. There is no honeymoon because he's filming. In the press, they are referred to as Cash and Carrie. (laughs) And to his credit, Carrie Grant really does seem to care for Barbara He really cares for Lance, his stepson. Like the step-parent, step-kid relationship here is very significant. But Cary Grant is kind of private. And he's astounded and horrified equally by the number of people and hangers-on that Barbara has. That's not how Cary Grant rolls. He is embarrassed by this embarrassment of riches. So oftentimes he doesn't show up for the dinner parties. When he does show up, He'll do something completely ludicrous just to illustrate how stupid it all is. So one time he shows up on stilts. He did get his start as like a circus performer or whatever, yeah, right? Like on like, Coney Island or mm-hmm. yeah, Atlantic City, one of those places when he first came over. Yeah. From, so this is, mm-hmm. that's weird. So like in effect, he's sort of mocking his wife's station or whatever, which is not cool. Sounds like still a step up from the first two, but not Total not cool. step up from the first. No, Cary Grant is the zero trash can husband here. Eventually, both are having affairs. Three years into this relationship, Barbara Hutton is going to file. The thing about this divorce, not trashy. Before Barbara Hutton dies, she will remember Cary Grant as the husband she loved the most. Hmm. Cary Grant in 1986 will also speak fondly of her. He will say the trouble wasn't with her. People just can't dissociate her from her money and they act like idiots around her. Cary Grant, not into the being surrounded by fawning parasites and phonies. So he's out. Like no matter how much he cares about her, Lance, it is, he's done. But he's the only man who doesn't use her. He's already a famous actor. He already has plenty of money. Cary Grant is the only man who does not get a payout when they Hmm. divorce in 1945. Zero trash cans. For Cary Grant, I love him. I always will. We are fans of Cary Grant. Big time. After the divorce from Cary Grant, Barbara is going to live with a dude named Frederick McAvoy. Why not purchase a ski chalet in New Hampshire? There's no marriage in the works for these two, but if you're leaving California and getting as far as New Hampshire, why not just go ahead and go to Paris, which Barbara (laughs) Hutton's going to do. So she she just kind of (laughs) overshot. Yeah. She will end up buying another home, this time in Tangier, and she's going to hook up with an expatriate Russian prince. Oh, my God. Tubby number four. You need to steer clear of the nobles, okay? Prince Igor. Oh, God. 
Prince Igor is broke, but he is very notable in the Grand Prix racing world. Kind of a big deal in the racing scene. I am certain that Barbara Hutton's money helped in those Grand Prix racing efforts. You think? Probably an affordable hobby. (laughs) Barbara and Prince Igor are going to marry in the spring of 1948 in Switzerland. This marriage goes for three years. He will file for divorce. She will attempt suicide. Yikes. Again, descending the press with vulture-like attention to the poor little rich girl. This is rough. Hubby number five. One of our perennial favorites around these parts, Porfirio Ruby Rosa. I thought he was one of them. He of the pepper milled himself. Yes. We've covered his story. This marriage is so short, it lasts 53 days. Doesn't he get like a B-52 airplane or something at the end of it? He gets a private jet. Polo ponies and 3.5 million. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like the US government throws in the plane or something. It's <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> For Porfirio, the arrangement, it is a business arrangement with Barbara Hutton. Because remember, Porfirio is hot off his divorce from Doris Duke. Oh, right. Doris Duke, Barbara Hutton, constant oh, right. rivalry. Maybe, maybe that was where the US government threw in the plane. Whatever. Well, also. Porfirio Ruby Rosa is in a hot and heavy affair with Zsa Zsa Gabor, right? And I'm like, all over trashy divorces. But Zsa Zsa Gabor doesn't have the kind of money for Porfirio oh, yeah. Ruby Rosa and this business arrangement that Barbara Hutton does. Like, seriously, $3.5 million, It costs her $66,000 a day for the 53-day marriage. Yikes. In this wedding... <laughs> Barbara will wear black when she goes down the aisle and carry a scotch and soda. (laughs) Well, at least she's dressing the part. 53. This was competition with Doris Duke. 53 days. Porfirio gets his 3.5 million, his big plane, and his polo field of ponies, and he's out. Her affairs continue. She will stay off the husband market for just a little bit, but we still have two more husbands to go. This time, hubby number six, Baron... Gottfried, a bunch of names in the middle, Von Cram. He's an old friend of hers. Okay. She thought that might work out better. It does not. They divorced in 1959. Lady, the St. Bridgerton. (laughs) (laughs) That is not the Duke for you. (laughs) The last trip down the aisle is hubby number seven. This happens in 1964. This is, good Lord, Prince Pierre... Bunch of names, but he's not a prince. He's really an artist named Raymond Doan, who will get a prince title bought for him. Barbara helpfully purchases it. It's a good benefit to that marriage. He gets a prince title along with $4 million just to go away by 1966. Now, here's the contention. I see in some places that they did divorce in 66. I see in some places that there was not a divorce, but they're they're done. Right. By 1968, Barbara Hutton is living at Claridge's in London, like living her time in seclusion. Two old friends go to visit Derry and Joan Moore, and they find her much changed. Derry says, she was very odd by now. In bed, she wore all of her pearls at once. She retreated into a strange fantasy world, the result of being completely isolated from normal human contact. Hmm. I'm going to go ahead and shine a little light on Lance here, the child from the marriage with Mm Reventhal. 
Lance, her only kid, does suffer a sad end. When he is born, he is dubbed the richest baby in the world. In 1960, he's going to marry Jill St. John. They are done by 1962. Jill St. John files for divorce, citing extreme cruelty. Mm. That is finalized October 30th, 1963, where Jill St. John will receive an $86,000 settlement. Jill will go on to marry the ex-husband and widower of Natalie Wood. I was going to say. Robert Wagner, mm. RJ. Growing up, Lance gets turned on to racing, mm. car racing, fast oh. things by the Grand Prix racer husband. And he loves it. Lance will marry again to ex-Mouseketeer Cheryl Holdridge. There's a lavish ceremony, 600 guests. Barbara does not attend, but is going to buy them a home for half a mil right down the road in Bel Air, throwing distance to guess where? Falcon Lair, Hmm. the home of Doris Duke. Interesting. Okay, so just constant competition. Constant competition. This is five bedrooms on 21 acres in Benedict Canyon, I think I'm going to do a mini follow-up on that on Patreon this week. It's a good story. Lance is an experienced pilot, but as a passenger, he's going to be flown by an inexperienced student. This is July 1972. The student pilot flies into a blind canyon. So Lance is out scouting real estate locations to build a resort in Aspen. He has a home there. The plane will attempt an unsuccessful turnaround. It does not work. Kills everyone on board. Yikes. So Lance, at the age of 36, dies, and Barbara never recovers from losing her son. Her health deteriorates. She will suffer falls, but when she falls and, for instance, breaks her hip, she doesn't go to a doctor. She just delays treatment, which is bad. By 1971, she has to be carried around. Hmm. She's either wheelchair-bound or carried around. She's losing a lot of money because she's being fleeced by the people around her. She does try to begin to scramble some of her wealth around to make it, but Barbara's still spending money on people who don't care about her just to get attention from people pretending to care about her, but it really is just all the money. Her longtime attorney is fleecing her for everything, and she'll say to Cecil Beaton, Lawyers are the dregs. Unless you commit mayhem or manslaughter, you're better off without them. They'll only exhaust your money and your patience. Barbara's body and mind are going, possibly accelerated by a lifetime of treating her body pretty terribly. Again, living life in bed and very much in a drugged state. So in her last years, among her frequent visitors are her cousin, actress Dina Merrill, Marjorie Merriweather, Post's daughter, Mm -hmm. and her husband at the time, Cliff Robertson. Cliff Robertson recalls each time they visited that Barbara is in bed, surrounded by half-empty glasses of Coke and books. She was definitely alert, but you could see her frailness. It was a sad thing. She had a sweet, lost quality, a sensitivity. She also had a strong and determined mind. She was surrounded by sycophants, by people on her payroll, Barbara was a virtual cocoon. She refused to get out of bed. Her last years are spent living at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, where Barbara will die May of 1979 at the age of 66 Hmm. with $3,500 cash remaining out of all the millions. A lot of jewels, but very little cash. 
Barbara is buried in the Woolworth family mausoleum at the Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. I feel like there are a lot of parallels with Howard Hughes and his late in life decline. And Yeah, I can definitely see that. Mental health issues and maybe they should have gotten married. They could have ground themselves down together. <laughs> Been weird together for the rest of time. <laughs> Grown out those fingernails. I've got two different interesting quotes here that I think sum it up. The first is from Douglas Fairbanks Jr., trashy divorced husband of Uh Joan Crawford, her first. Mm -hmm. Dougie, Dougie Jr. will say, Barbara Hutton lived a fairy tale existence. A second-rate fairy tale at that. She was like the Cincinnati shop girl who goes to the movies for the first time, sees a distorted celluloid image of the world, and swallows it hook, line, and sinker. Barbara's biographer... David Heyman, will liken Hutton's failed relationships to, quote, an interlocking series of passion plays, with herself as the heroine and the man or hero as the unattainable object of her desire. The play endured only as long as the hero remained just out of reach. The moment he capitulated, the moment he revealed his feelings, he was discarded and ultimately replaced. Not sure that actually fits. It sounds like there was significant abuse in the early relationships. But I mean, she was working through her father's like absolute rejection of her. You know, like. Isn't that just. It's a. It's a really sad story. There's a lot of imago. There's a lot of tragedy, a lot of abuse, and all the money in the world. Yeah. It doesn't buy her the. Yeah. I almost wish uh, Queen Elizabeth had pulled her aside at some point and been like, Barbara. Let's talk, sister. You're the queen. They're only ever going to be princes, don't. <laughs> You're the... But I don't think she ever... No, she it never really developed her inner self enough to... And, you know, when you have enough money just to make them go away. Yeah. Go away. Don't go away mad. Just, here's four million. Go away. Yeah. Did she have any kind of profession? Did she sit on boards? Was she, like... What did she occupy her time with before she was bedridden? So she will open up, mainly for PR purposes, a soup kitchen in Tangiers in the war. Like her PR people have her doing some stuff. Yeah. She will give generously to people. So she does support some causes. She is an avid collector of Chinese porcelain, old master art, as well as famous jewels. She owns jewels that were once owned by Marie Antoinette, Empress Eugenie, Napoleon III's wife from France. She buys a lot of houses. There was that one time she went to stay at Doris Dukes at Shangri-La in Hawaii Mm. and helpfully replaces all of Doris Dukes' collectively, carefully curated Islamic art collection knocks just puts that all out on the curb and imports Japanese furniture instead. Like they're always in competition. Their story is really fascinating together. We've talked a little bit about Doris Duke on spider webs over the last few weeks, Mm -hmm. but the sad tale of Barbara Hutton. Yeah, that's she filled her time with shopping. She owned the Pasha diamond that was floating around the Russian royalty for a few hundred years. All the money in the world. A cautionary tale of the idle rich. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. Sad. To her credit, 
unlike Doris Duke, I don't think she murdered anyone. Well, there you go. So, And several of those men were clearly asking for it. <laughs> asking for it. Prince Alexis, done with you, Count Kurt. Done with you, Cary Grant, the only good one. Right. But she was briefly Dutch, so she has that going for her. <laughs> <laughs> and all the time hated in the press <laughs> and by the people of America. <sighs> so that is Trashy Divorces for Yet another today. week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for that roller coaster ride of trash candy. Exploration of the idle and the not so idle. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for yet another week. And um, if you would like to check out more Trashy Divorces, we have a lot going on at patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces all week long. And don't forget to tune in on Wednesday for a new episode of Trashy Royals. You've got a good one on deck. Oh, one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. It's a cool story. Favorite stories. Thanks again, y'all, for tuning in. Y'all are the very best. Can't wait to see you again when we do. Until then. Keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trash up those hearts a lot. Keep wearing your masks. Get a jab. Yeah, get vaccinated, y'all. Got a whole new trashy world to explore. Can't wait to see you next week. Until then, keep it trashy, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all. <laughs>